gold, gold. There's gold in them there hills. <laughs> and I don't remember where I heard that from. It may have been in a history class when I was in school or probably on a Saturday morning when I was watching Looney Tunes. I'm not quite sure which. <laughs> but when I hear that phrase, I think of California Gold Rush. And in the mid-1800s, gold was discovered in California, and it was estimated that in 1849, 100,000 people headed out to California. Now, some of those people headed out there, and they had no idea what they were getting themselves into or how to mine gold. And some of them even left their family behind as they headed out to find riches. In Proverbs 16, 16 reads, How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen above or more than silver. And listen to Psalms 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether, more to be desired than any gold, much more than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. And as we continue our series on mission, uh, this morning we're going to dig deep into the wealth of wisdom that we can find in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And we're going to learn, we're going to learn that gospel-centered living motivates us to gather together, to grow spiritually, to give back what God has given us, and to go with the greatest message in the whole world. And our main point will be a gospel-centered life compels or motivates us to gather, grow, give, and go. So we're going to be reading from Acts 21 through 16. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. Perhaps you like to use your electronic device. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and so you can listen to me, please. After the roar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through uh, those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There, let me find that. there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopatar, the Berean, of the son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secondus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Those are a mouthful, huh? <laughs> these, were, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to Troas, where we stayed for seven days. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Woo! There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul, he went down there, and he bent over him. 
and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to go to take Paul aboard there. For he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day, we touched at Samos. And the next day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you, and Father, we thank you for your word. And this morning, we acknowledge that your word, Father, is a wealth of wisdom, truth for us that can change our lives. But Father, we're sinners saved by grace, some of us, and some of us sinners yet to be saved by grace. And Father, we need grace and mercy to help us set aside all the cares and concerns we have. For this morning, we want to hear from you and your word. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and all he means to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we enter our mind of wisdom, I see, I see the gold of gospel-centered living glinting in the walls ahead of us. Did you know that you could live for the gospel? It's true. A living for the gospel is not a job that has a set number of positions that are available, and therefore you may miss out. Gospel-centered living is available to every single child of God. You and I, we can make the gospel the center of our lives. But to better understand what gospel-centered living is, it can be helpful sometimes to look at what it's not. So we know that people around us can live for a lot of things, and perhaps you know somebody who lives for sports. Now, don't say any names out loud. We don't want to do that. Or perhaps somebody who lives to make money. We don't want to be too hard on people, right? Because generally, you and I, we only see a small slice of what's happening. We often, or we seldom do we see the big picture. And so when I thought of that, two minds just leapt to my mind immediately. The first one was Tony Dungy, and the second one was David Green. And Tony Dungy, when you see him, it appears that he is living for football, and football is a big part of his life. However, he's a child of God who loves the Lord, and he lives to serve him. And David Green, what what can I say about David Green? He's made more money than I can dream of. (laughs) However, as the owner of Hobby Lobby, he has given so much away. He loves the Lord and he's living for the Lord. But we don't have to be people like Tony Dungy and David Green to live for the Lord. You and I, we can live for the Lord. And the men listed in these verses are great examples of men who lived for the gospel because they continued even through great hardship. And verse 1 says, after the uproar ceased, and this refers to the riot that happened in Ephesus that was started by Demetrius the silversmith. And Pastor Brian discussed that last week, and so perhaps you remember some of that story. But I want you to listen to just two verses about the riot. And verse 23 reads, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. I love the, the Bible, and just there's humor in here, no little disturbance. It was a riot. <laughs> And then verse 28, when they, they being the Ephesians who took part in the riot, heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out. 
And Paul and his companions, they knew the value of the gospel, and they continued even through great hardship. But I mention all those names just to let us know that gospel-centered living is not just for those of us who we consider super spiritual people, right? Everyday people like you and I, we can live for the gospel. And these men who are mentioned here, they're not mentioned very often. So that tells us that you and I, we too can live for the gospel, have a gospel-centered life. And gospel-centered living is characterized by gather, grow, give, and go. So right off that main tunnel of gospel-centered living, we see a nugget, another nugget of truth shining at us, and that is gather. If you want to be a person who is living your life centered around the gospel, then you're going to need to gather with God's people. Make it a priority to gather weekly and to, to gather with the gospel. We can gather in a large group setting like this or small group settings. And Paul's writings, Paul's writings are full of small group gatherings. In fact, that verse 1 talks about one of those small group gatherings. That small group gathering happened between Paul and his disciples, and he encouraged them. So think about that. Right after the riot stopped, what does Paul do? Does he flee? Does he take that moment to escape? No. He calls his disciples to him so that he can encourage them. And relationships prosper better in small groups in a close-knit community of believers who care for each other. Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6.2. And James writes, listen to this, this is a great verse. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as its workings. And Jesus, too, he met in small gatherings, right? He met with the 12 of his disciples, and on occasion he would meet with just a portion of them, whether it was James, John, and Peter, or, or whoever. But groups can also be large gatherings like we have here today. And I want to jump back into our passage at verse 7 and 8. And on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. It's right there. <laughs> there are many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. Now, when I read that, I just had to stop and process that. And so I want you to do the same thing, okay? Here at Edgewood, we take pride in the fact that we are a, bib a biblical-centered church, and we love to proclaim God's word and to follow it. So guess what? We're going to go to midnight today. <laughs> Paul preached till midnight. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> but before we hit that major gemstone of truth, I want to begin at verse 7 and on the first day of the week. So have you ever wondered why churches generally gather on Sunday, the first day of the week, versus Saturday, the Sabbath day? Well, this is one of those reasons right here. And the Apostle Paul, as he traveled on the Sabbath day, he would go into synagogues and he would preach uh, to Jewish people from God's word. And on Sunday, the first day of the week, uh, they would gather together as believers and grow in God's word. However, in Romans 14, the Apostle Paul tells us not to make a big deal about a specific day or one day over another. Um, we're to make every single day the Lord's day and we're to focus on worshiping him. So at, here at Edgewood, we have worship services on Sunday, Saturday evening and Sunday at 9 and 1045. 
But gotquestions.org puts it this way, that the key point to worshiping on a day um, is not that we are to limit our worship to any particular day of the week. We are to rest in the Lord every single day of the week, and we are to worship him always. So picking back up in verse 7, Paul describes the setting of this gathering. And he says, he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. So that would be as if we were on a balcony or another story up. So we know heat rises, right? And there are many oil lamps in that room and oil lamps produce smoke. So now we have heat and we have smoke. And even if we hadn't read the passage earlier, you would probably be able to put together where this is going. This is the part that I love, just a small portion of it right here, and perhaps most pastors love this verse. Eutychus fell asleep listening to the Apostle Paul. Now, can you imagine that? Now, I I picture the Apostle Paul as a little fireball full of energy. I'm just preaching God's word. And so if Eutychus can fall asleep on the Apostle Paul, well, then maybe Dan can fall asleep listening to Pastor Brian sometimes. (laughs) Or perhaps... You might be feeling tired this morning here. However, let's don't be too hard on Eutychus because that Greek word translated asleep actually seems to indicate that he was fighting against it. It wasn't like he was just looking to snuggle up and fall asleep, but he was fighting against it. And I just wonder, we we don't know for sure, but I wonder myself, was he sitting in that window so he could get some fresh air coming through there to, to kind of help revive him and fight falling asleep? But I know this, if you've ever fallen asleep in a sermon, you are not alone. Uh, God's word says Eutychus fell asleep in a sermon. But the next part, uh, this is a part that's incredibly scary to me. And verse 9 says, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. So not only did Eutychus fall asleep, but then he fell out of the third-story window and died. And and that word translated uh, died is the word necros, where we get our word necrosis from, which refers to dead tissue in the body. Luke was a physician, so we know that he could tell if somebody was dead. And unfortunately, Eutychus fell asleep. But listen to this. This is a great part of God's grace and mercy. And when Paul had gone up, Excuse me, when Paul had gone down there, he took him in his arms and he brought him back to life. That's a sign of God's grace and miraculous power to heal people. But now we come to another part that I love, and it's a little, well, it like, makes me say, wow. So listen to verse 11 and 12. And when Paul had gone up from bringing Eutychus to life, he broke, he broke bread, and after he had eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so he departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So did you catch that? So after Paul raised Eutychus from the dead, what does he do? He goes back up. He has a great big meal to get some energy back. And then he continued talking until daybreak. So I know I'm safe going to 5 o'clock, right? If he can go to daybreak, I can go to 5 p.m. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we, you and I, we can live a gospel-centered life, and it starts by gathering with the gospel so our lives can be changed by the gospel. A gospel-centered life 
compels us or motivates us to gather, grow, give and go. Secondly, as we journey down another part of the mine, uh, we see even more beauty glittering there on the wall. And that's the beauty of growing. Growing in the gospel is what the church should be all about. That's what you and I should be all about. Paul was there preaching God's holy word. And the preaching of God's word is an integral part of every Bible-believing church. It's the preaching of God's word that can pierce your heart and my heart and actually tell us what are the hidden intentions of why we're doing certain things. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or listen to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, there are so many other verses we could go to to talk about the importance of listening to God's word and reading God's word. But, you know, we can also grow in the gospel in small groups. And we just got a brief glimpse of that as Paul was encouraging the fellow believers in Ephesus. Encouragement is good. Do you know that? It's like medicine to your soul. And that word translated encouraged here is parakaleo, which means that we're to call close, to call near to me. And it's as if I'm saying, Nate, please come up here. Please come by me so that we can help support and encourage each other on this journey. And that's actually the same root word that's translated comforter when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So the supernatural power of God working in us is the most valuable part of growing in the gospel. In Romans 1, 16 and 17 reminds us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Man, and the gospel power is the power of God that frees you and I from the penalty of sin, what we call justification, and also from the power of sin in our lives, which we call sanctification. And Philippians 1, 6 reminds us that God started this good work in us, and he's going to continue. Listen to, to this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we are reminded again in Philippians 2.13, which is one of my favorite verses, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Man, you and I, we don't have to roll up our sleeves and white knuckle it to grow in our faith. We have God in our corner and we can grow in the gospel. And I can summarize it like this. The gospel is the power of God to save us. God started it, he will finish it, and he will give you and I the motivation and the ability to be obedient. Gospel-centered living is our goal. It should be the goal of all of us. And we accomplish this by gathering and by growing in the gospel. And as we continue to study the depths of gospel-centered living, we see another nugget of truth glittering ahead. 
And that's the gospel, the gospel-centered life motivates us to give for the gospel. Now, there are really two ways that we can give for the gospel, right? We can give financially or we can give of the talents and time that God has given us. And in this particular passage, Paul was collecting money to help the poor in Jerusalem. And Romans 15, 25 through 26 reads, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And Paul wrote Romans, you may remember, uh, while he was in Corinth. And we understand from Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians that Phoebe was in Centuria. And in Romans uh, 16.1, uh, it says uh, that Centuria was the, the main port uh, for Corinthians, and Gaius is Paul's host at the Corinthian church too. 1 Corinthians 1.14, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized no one except Crispus and Gaius. And in 2 Corinthians 8, we see that we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Catch this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. So even when they're really struggling financially themselves, they were moved by the Lord to give to the believers in Jerusalem. Now, my wife, Beth, and I, who's sitting over there, um, we give electronically. That's the best way that works for us. Pastor Brian and his Beth, they write a check every single week. Um, Some of us have even continued to pay, or we have continued our commitment to give to grow time to help pay that principal down even quicker. But to be honest with you, I've been at Edgewood for a long time, and I love this fact. Edgewood is very generous. We have a very generous heart. And I am proud to be a part of Edgewood because that is known in our community. Now, we can also give back from the talents that God has entrusted to us. And the Apostle Paul and those named in this passage, that's exactly what they were doing. They were traveling around, preaching the gospel, and encouraging believers on their way. Many of us here at Edgewood are serving somewhere. We have people who serve with us at our local Go Team partners like Youth Hope. I see Mark and Sarah Drake right over here. We have members serving at Awana, Second Winders, Mainspring, and Celebrate Recovery, just to name a few. And we have a great name in our community because of that giving heart that we have. So to live a gospel-centered life, we need to gather with the gospel. We need to grow in the gospel and give for the gospel. A gospel-centered life will motivate us to gather, grow, give, and go. And as we mind this last uh, truth of gospel-centered living, we see the wealth and wisdom of going with the gospel just shining brightly back at us. We, Edgewood, we are a church who supports a lot of people who go into the world uh, with the gospel. And we, too, take the gospel to the community around us. And when we live a gospel-centered life, we can be a part of the biggest purpose in the whole world, the purpose of getting the message of salvation to the lost around us. And finding a purpose for our life, it's something that people struggle with all around the world. And perhaps this morning, there may be somebody here who's struggling to find a purpose for your life. And I want to let you know that we have a purpose for you, and you can take part in it. 
Listen to God's invitation uh, to join the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 19. And Jesus came and said to them, All power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we could summarize that passage of Matthew 28 as go with the gospel and as you are going, make disciples. And Mark records the Great Commission in this way. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So our task, your task, and my task is to join together and get the gospel to the whole world. What a purpose. You and I can be a part of proclaiming the gospel right here in the Quad Cities. You and I, we are God's A-team. We're his first string. We're not the second or third string, and we're not the last ones to be picked because there's nobody else left there. God wants you and I, he's chosen you and I, to get the message of hope to the lost around us. Paul and his co-workers had accepted their place in the Great Commission, And they were going with the gospel. And on this trip, Paul's third missionary journey, they took the gospel all around the Mediterranean Sea. And at Edgewood Baptist Church, uh, some of our people have become missionaries too. Stacy Hovett-Hobine, she serves with SEND in the Chicago area. Kim Contreras serves in Fresno with World Impact. Her sister, Patty Eager, serves in Baja, California with TEAM. And Dave Bennett Uh, serves with Timber Bay and Brainerd, and he previously worked with Youth Hope. And who can forget George King? George King has been a missionary who grew up here at Edgewood, who has served the Lord in Japan for over 55 years. And I'm just blown away when I think of that. 55 years he sacrificed to serve the people in Japan. And his daughter, Ruth. We had 12 people go through a two-year missionary training program here at Edgewood, Uh, Jim and Amy Smith, who serve in Japan, Bobby and Lisa Bechtel, who serve in Kenya, Isaac and Stephanie Torres, who now serve uh, overseas in a place we can't really speak of. But speaking of some of our past missionary interns, perhaps if you've been here a while, you remember Kim and Matt Deshaun. Uh, Matt Deshaun and Kim served in Turkey in the past. Um, They came back a while ago, but Matt has cancer, and he just had a setback and his brain cancer has grown significantly. So I'd like to ask you to please pray for him. Um, They're trusting the Lord, and they're moving forward by faith, uh, but it's a really difficult situation for them. And last month here at Edgewood, we started supporting SW, and SW is a member of our Edgewood family, and perhaps you remember when we interviewed her last month, uh, we had to shut off the live stream uh, so that she wouldn't be out on the Internet and nobody could hear of her name and where she's going. Um, She just started serving last month. And if you would like to join her team and be a part of getting the gospel going to where she's going to go, you can talk to myself or Pastor Kyle, and we'd love to connect you with SW and fill you in on that. But today, it is our privilege to interview Linnell Smith. Uh, Linnell Smith has been serving in missions for over 31 years. We've been supporting her for 31 years, and it is our joy to have her here with us this morning. And so,
Linnell, would you mind uh, just taking a moment to introduce yourself, tell us where you're serving, um, how God has been working in your life now, and uh, just a little bit about you and your ministry. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here and to share with you Edgewood Baptist Church, my partners in the gospel. And you've been partnering in the gospel in South America with me um, for the last 30 years, yes. And it's exciting. I grew up in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and as a child, heard about missions, especially through Awana. And someone might ask, well, how did you get into missions? Well, it was because as God tells us and as we grow, as Pastor Dan has been preaching, as we grow in the word, our job is to obey because of our love for the Lord and his love for us. And so my life verse is 1 Samuel twelve twenty four that says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he has done for you. I just had the privilege of doing that overseas. And God led me overseas to serve with the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And I first went to Belo Horizonte, Brazil, where I served for seven years. Then God moved me to Campo Grande, Brazil, to help start a brand new church there and work with children and train others to teach the children the word of God. And then God moved me from Brazil to Ecuador, where I have served for the last 10 and a half years. And during those years, God has kind of made a switch, um, slight change in ministry in that he has given me the opportunities to serve as part of a training team to train others, to equip, just as Ephesians talks about, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm -hmm. As Paul talks about in in 2 Timothy 2.2, he asked Timothy to pass on the word to others who would be faithful to train and teach others also. And that is the privilege I have in small group discipleship groups with women, and training them how to do it, um, as well as um, doing evangelism and discipleship seminars and part of a training team. Uh, From Ecuador, I have been able to travel to Peru, Chile, Colombia, and the Dominican Republic um, in the last six years. And then as the pandemic hit, we started doing it uh, by Zoom and still Uh, reaching other countries and training them. God also gave me the opportunity to train Latin American missionaries who are going to creative access countries. And so you are partners with me, and we are partnering with God as he sends others out to other countries. Amen. Uh, That's great to think because uh, people from different countries like Brazil and South America have an easier time getting into some of those countries that you and I would not be able to. So that's a great thing to hear. And and, uh, Linnell hinted at some things about Awana. She was here this past Wednesday uh, working with our Awana youth and sharing her testimony and signing their missionary part uh, in their handbooks and was also challenged uh, to get into missions at Awana. So that's a great place where you can serve too is at Awana. 
And now, Linnell, would you mind uh, please telling us how God has grown you specifically spiritually over this last term? It's been a, a term of many hardships. Uh, yes, this last term has been very interesting. I know it has been for you um, because of COVID. But it was interesting before that, as there was some political unrest in Ecuador. So we had already experienced a lockdown um, before that. But just seeing God work in the midst of it. And so I would say the spiritual growth is a continual um, peace that he gives um, to just trust him and not be anxious, not to worry not to wonder, oh, no, now we can't do this. Okay, Lord, what's next? What can we do? And to be challenged to not let other things take the importance, but to continue sowing the word of God and encouraging believers. Mm -hmm. And so though COVID put us in lockdown and we couldn't meet personally, it increased our um, need to encourage believers and to train them. And so we did it by Bible studies, by phone, by Zoom, by WhatsApp, whatever way. And God led that so that we had actually more ministry opportunities during that year. Amen. And then could you please tell us one or two stories of lives that, have been tra- that you have seen God transform through the study of his word? Uh, Let me tell you the story of Fatima. Fatima is a security guard or was a security guard at a park. And I was taking my day off, and I like to go to the park and read. And she came by on her rounds, and she asked, are you uh, an author? Because I had books and was reading and writing. No, I'm a teacher. Okay. She comes around again, and she says, do you help people? Okay, what kind of help do you need? And she says, can you get me a Bible? And so I didn't have a Bible at the time. I was using my phone for the app, the Bible app, and tried to show her how she could get that on her phone, but took a Bible to her. My colleague was able to take one to her, and they started a Bible study. And as she learned God's word and the redemption story, she trusted Christ as her personal savior. And she couldn't get enough, so she would read the Bible as often as she could. So soon one of her coworkers says, I want to know, can you get me a Bible? So she gets a Bible, and we find a young man to um, do a Bible study with him. And she says, I have... I have some neighbors that um, want some Bibles, too. Can you get me some Bibles to give to them? I need, like, three. So my colleague and I prayed about it, and God provided, and so we gave her ten Bibles. I would say almost within a month, all ten Bibles were gone Mm. because she's sharing the gospel because it's transformed her life. So much so that her bosses were like, you're not the same person. Mm. Her colleagues are saying, you're not the same person because God transformed her life. So now she's teaching others. Amen. 
perfect example of how the gospel can change our lives. Um, thank you for sharing that story. Last week or last night, she shared a story about Maria too. I'm pretty sure next service she's going to have another one to share. It's just how God works in so many different people's lives. Uh, but Linnell, your Edgewood family, we love you. We care for you. We want to know how how can we pray for you and how can we pray for your ministry? Well, I would ask for prayer as I move from going being in Ecuador to Fortaleza, Brazil. So when I leave on January 21st, Lord willing, um, I will be going to Fortaleza, Brazil, joining a team there, but I'll be looking for an apartment, need to purchase a car, and just getting all set up and all that that entails. Um, learning the newer culture, a different culture in Fortaleza than where I was in Brazil before, refreshing my language. But I would ask that you would pray that God would provide the $425 a month support that I need to be able to leave in January. So that's one of the major requests. Um, Everybody there in Brazil is excited um, for the ministry that God is giving me there to use Spanish with Venezuelan refugees to share the gospel, as well as to train people in Portuguese to share the gospel and continue teaching the word of God and making disciple makers. So I would ask you to pray for that as there's wisdom and trying to find exactly and just trusting God to show me exactly what um, ministry to prioritize at first. Thank you so much, Lena. I'd like to ask you to please step out to the display table. There's a display table towards the south lobby by the cafe area. You can, I'd like to ask you to please go there after the service and uh, just talk to Linnell, encourage her. Perhaps you could sign up for her uh, prayer update. And if you're gathering with us online or listening to this next weekend on Cozy, uh, you can just make a comment uh, in the, the comment section of Facebook Live and we could sign you up for that prayer letter update. Or you could call the church office and we could get you on that list uh, next week too. Thank you so much, Linnell. Not only is Linnell serving the Lord, uh, and we talked about SW serving the Lord, but there are a few other of our Edgewood family who are trusting God to lead them uh, into full-time ministry too. Great things are happening here at Edgewood, and you and I, we get to be a part of watching God work. And to be a person who is focused on gospel-centered living, we need to gather with the gospel, grow in the gospel, give for the gospel, and go with the gospel. So how can we take this information and transform our lives? And that's really what God, studying God's word is all about or listening to the preaching of God's word. It's not just to collect information that we can spit out at a later date, but it's to gather this information and look for ways that it can change us. So how can we do that? Number one, gather. Um, we can commit to gathering with God's people weekly for a weekend worship service. You know, it's easy to slip in and out of getting in the habit of attending church, but it's also easy to make that choice, a committed, intentional choice, that you're going to get back in the habit of gathering with God's people weekly. And according to a 2020 research by Barna, it says that only 29% of God's people gather weekly. 
Now, I know that's not true here at Edgewood. We're at a higher percentage than that. But I also know that we can make it just a little bit better. We can stay focused on the gospel, and we can make it a point to gather weekly. Secondly, grow. At Edgewood, we believe that growth happens best in a small group. So you can also commit to attending a small group and growing in your faith with a smaller group of believers. We have lots of ways that you can do that. You can uh, join a small group that meets here on Sunday, some during the 9 o'clock service, some during the 1045 service. We have one that meets at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, on, on Sunday mornings too. We have growth groups that meet throughout the week in people's homes. You can gather there. You can gather with um, divorce care that meets this, af- this afternoon or also grief, share that me- grief care that meets in the Life Center this afternoon. You could also be a part of a Celebrate Recovery 12-step. Uh, my 12-step group that I'm leading, the, the fourth one that I've been in, is this uh, Sunday afternoon from 2 uh, to 4 o'clock. You can join a group like that. There are many ways that you can be a part of a small group. You can also join Youth Hope, and you can serve with Youth Hope and get to know more believers from Edgewood and in our community as you impact people's lives. We also have discipleship groups that you can be a part of. You can disciple somebody or you can be discipled, uh, whatever one uh, best suits you. There are also ladies' Bible studies and a men's Bible study that meets during the week here at Edgewood. There are so many different ways that you can grow in a small group. I want to challenge you, if you have not made that next step, that perhaps God is leading you uh, to make that next step to grow in a small group. And if that's you, there's a, that connection card that Pastor Ed had mentioned uh, right in front of you, or you can find it uh, on our app or our website if you're meeting with us online. And in that keyword section, you can just write group, and we'll contact you next week or soon and help plug you into a small group so you can grow spiritually. Also, we can decide to grow by reading God's Word. Now, I can remember, uh, please, please don't think badly of me, but I can remember in 1996 when I made a choice to start reading God's word daily. And man, did God use it in my life, and I grew tremendously. And it's not because there's really anything special about me. It's just because I had a a long way to go, and my wife over here, she could verify that. I needed to grow a lot. But God was faithful, and he allowed that growth to happen as I stepped out by faith and read his word. You can grab our monthly reading plan on the plan out of the kiosk here in the lobby. You can find it on our app or on our website, and you can commit to reading his word daily. And I promise you, there are going to be some moments that are going to blow your mind, like thinking that Paul preached till midnight, and then after that, till dawn. You're going to find all kinds of great things in God's word to help you to grow. You know, give. Give's another way that perhaps God is leading you to grow by faith. The church is the only organization that I know of that exists for people who are not its members. We exist to give the gospel to people and to bring them into God's family. We exist to embrace the message of salvation and join our role in the Great Commission, where we tell people that salvation is possible in Christ alone, through faith alone. No, you can also give financially. One of the ways you can do that is you could buy a gift and take part in our curbside Christmas on December 6th and 7th from 4 to 6 p.m. Um, you're, we're going to be dropping off gifts that will go to some of our local Go Team partners like Youth Hope, and it's going to go to people in need in our community. And so perhaps the Lord is leading you to give that way. Or perhaps maybe the Lord is tugging on your heart to actually give weekly 
or monthly to tithe. Please don't take this wrong either, but I remember back in 1996 too when my wife came to me and said, Dan, I want to tithe. And I said, are you crazy? (laughs) You know where I work. I'm working at the paint factory in Moline. How can we do that? And so we argue, or maybe disgust is the better word, not argue. (laughs) And then we came to a point where we decided we were going to trust God and do that for a while and then reevaluate it. Now, we don't have a miraculous story of God just providing money out of nowhere. We just did it the way most people do. We cinched our belt and we stopped buying things that we, we didn't need. And when we came to reevaluate, I was absolutely shocked and blown away that we had made it. I really thought we weren't going to make it. But my wife was right. And that was the time God had for us to step out and give. And perhaps maybe the Lord is leading you to do that too. We also started giving of our times and talents back in 1996. I remember serving at Awana for a short period of time. My wife and I served in children's church. Just a couple of days ago, uh, Linnell came here and served our kids in Awana. Uh, you can give back by plugging into so many, different spart, so many different spots here at Edgewood. And I know one of the things I struggled with back in those days was, man, how can God use me? How can God use Dan? I make a mess of so many different things that I touch. Well, the truth of the matter is you have things to offer just like I did. God has made you. and He has made you the way you are because he wanted you to be that person. He loves you. You're not a mistake. God has gifted you to give. And I want to urge you, find a spot where you can give back of your time or talents here at Edgewood. One of the great things you can do is you can plug in with our kids down in the nursery or our kids' programs. Who better to serve than our youth here at Edgewood? You can make an impact in their lives. Man, you know, God was so gracious to me, helping me to grow as we gave back of our time and talents. And I I know he can do the same thing for you. As you give back, God will grow you tremendously. When we worked with the kids in Children's Church, I can tell you, um, I was not a man who was known to be working with kids at that time. (laughs) But God was gracious. And kids, they're honest. And they will tell you some crazy things that will help you to grow. I promise you. (laughs) And man, just to love on kids while their parents are here being fed by God's word. What better thing uh, can you do? You know, also giving financially, it's not just going to our local Go Team partners or our missionaries across the world like Linnell. It also does just some very practical things. Like it keeps these lights on in here. Keeps the heat going. So this afternoon when... Uh, divorce care meets and people are struggling with their marriages falling apart they can serve here and they're in a warm building with lights or with grief share for people who are struggling with losing a loved one it's so simple uh, giving it has such an impact on so many different ways that you and i don't even know fourthly we can go you can join us edgewood in being a part of taking the gospel to the lost all around us And you can do that simply by signing up for Linnell's prayer letters or helping to partner with her financially or perhaps SW. Um, There's lots of different ways. We are currently supporting 79 missionaries and mission organizations. That's amazing. And 12% of our budget goes towards missions. Man, I love being a part of Edgewood and knowing that my giving is having an impact around the world. Do you know that you could also commit to being a missionary? What what I say? Yeah, that's true. Maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. It's possible. 
I remember uh, God called me to be a missionary later in life, and so did Pastor Brian. He called Pastor Brian later in life. And when I was 30, I went off to college, Bible school, and I could imagine if one of those history teachers would have seen me going to Bible college, they would have probably been like, whoa, what are you doing going back to school? You should come back to seventh grade and learn some of the things you ignored. But God can use you. And perhaps, perhaps God's calling one of you to go into full-time ministry. Now, that's a small portion of people. We know that. Um, But if that's you, I want to encourage you to step out by faith and trust God. He is mighty and he is great, and he can do great things. You could also partner with one of our local Go Team partners like Pregnancy Resources or Safe Families or perhaps a nonprofit like Riverbend Food Bank or Habitat for Humanity, and you can share your faith at those locations. We just finished an elective sharing your faith with confidence. I love talking about the gospel. And if you missed that opportunity, perhaps we're going to have one in the spring. I really hope so. And maybe you could join us and you could learn to share your faith with confidence through natural, organic conversations. Now, if you'd also like to sign up for any of the things I'd mentioned here, you can pull that connection card out and write in that keyword section, write grow or how can I give or whatever you'd like in there. And we'll get back with you later this week. But you know what? I'd be uh, really sad if I didn't take this opportunity to just ask you. We've been talking a lot about personal relationship with Jesus Christ and digging into his word. And if that's new to you, man, I'd like to explain how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's really simple. In fact, it's so simple, even a child can do it. The first step is just admit that you've sinned. And sin means that you've broken God's commandments. It doesn't mean that you haven't done what your spouse wants you to do or you're not doing what Dan wants you to do. It means you've broken God's commandments. And we know what a few of those are, right? We know we're not supposed to lie We're not supposed to take something that doesn't belong to us. I don't like to admit it, uh, but sometimes I still lie. I don't lie like I used to lie where I would blame other people or try to get out of trouble. Um, But today, if somebody were to hand me something and say, hey, Dan, how did that taste? I might be tempted to say, oh, it tastes good, even if it doesn't taste good. I know you've broken some of God's commandments too, and that makes you a sinner because the Bible says all of us have sinned. So I know I'm not alone in that. The second thing is believe. Believe that God sent his precious son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, for you individually. And accept that. Accept God's free gift of salvation. Repent from your sins and turn to God, and you can be saved. You can be saved. And if you'd like to talk more about that, you can see me or one of the other pastors or one of our deacons. I see Jason Crosby sitting over here. We'd love to explain to you how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved and you would spend eternity in heaven with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Edgewood, you and I, we can live a life centered on the gospel, surrounded by the gospel, glorifying Jesus Christ. And we can help his name be glorified all around the whole world. Because gospel-centered living compels us to gather, grow, give, and go. Man, and as we leave today from this service and go out into our community, I hope and pray that you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody around you because our community is full of people who need hope. And if you would like to talk more about the gospel, again, please see me, one of the pastors or one of our deacons. We would love to talk to you. Edge, would you have a great Thanksgiving? And may God bless you this week.